former FBI Assistant Director, Frank Figluzzi. Join me on a journey deep inside the world's premier law enforcement agency to decode the mysteries and challenges of today's FBI. The threats facing America are as real as the men and women who battle to protect us. In this first-of-a-kind podcast, we sit down with active-duty FBI personnel who reveal their mission, their cases, and their lives. Let's go inside the Bureau with Frank Figluzzi. Evidence that has literally been blown up. TDEC stands for the Terrorist Explosive Device Analytical Center. Yeah, the interagency concept here sounds like it's a perfect example of one team, one fight. I decided to apply to my dream job, and that was to become an FBI special agent. Everybody under one roof working toward the same mission. There's always going to be people that turn to bombs. Nine-year-old evidence allowing a partner country to prosecute. That's a good day and a good story. Our guest today is Will Rivers. Chief of the Terrorist Explosive Device Analytical Center, or TDAC. From combat theaters in the Middle East to domestic terrorists here at home, the FBI's bomb analysts work to identify and prosecute bomb makers around the world. On this episode, we'll learn how it's done. Will, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Frank. Appreciate the uh, opportunity to be on. Let's dig right in and ask first how you came to be an FBI agent and your journey into the FBI. Tell us where you're from and how you got to the Bureau. So I was actually uh, a civil engineer before the Bureau. I was uh, from Kentucky and went to the University of Kentucky Engineering School and spent some time in Lexington, Kentucky, working for a couple of general contractors there and uh, was doing that up to the point of 9-11. And that was uh, a moment of change for me. I had been contemplating uh, other things, but but that was a defining moment. Uh, and I decided to uh, apply to my dream job, and that was to become an FBI special agent. Almost a year later, uh, I was in the academy. And when I left the academy, was assigned to the Washington field office which was uh, a great opportunity. Spent uh, some time in counterintelligence there, uh, working cases, and eventually made my way over to the technical operations squad. Uh, As an engineer, that was a good fit for me, and uh, that was provided some uh, exciting times uh, for about 10 years there. I spent uh, as a technically trained agent uh, on the technical operations squad at Washington Field. From there, I went uh, to the Operational Technology Division uh, and was a program manager, unit chief, uh, over uh, the technically trained agent program and that, that technical operations and uh, the training of that cadre. And then from there, I was assigned as the assistant special agent in charge of our Norfolk field office. Uh, and that was a, an incredible opportunity for me to see life in the uh, smaller office compared to the Washington field size offices. And then I made my way f- from Norfolk to my current job here as section chief at TDAC uh, within the laboratory division of the FBI. I've been here uh, approximately a year and a half and uh, loving the job and uh, passionate people, uh, phenomenal mission. It's just a great opportunity for me. 
Well, America's all the better and all the safer for you having chosen to move from the private sector to corporate. And that story you shared of being motivated by the terror attacks of 9-11 is one I've certainly heard before. I think I think hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, young people chose the Bureau after realizing that we are in a battle um, for the, the nation's security. So we thank you for that. And that civil engineering background sounds like it makes sense in terms of understanding the workings of bombs and the components of bombs. Tell us about the mission of TDAC. Remind us what that stands for and what the men and women of your center do every day. Sure. Again, TDAC, we love our acronyms in the FBI, as you know, Frank. TDAC stands for the Terrorist Explosive Device Analytical Center. It was formed uh, back in 2003 to really serve as a, as a single interagency organization to receive, analyze, and exploit all the improvised explosive devices, uh, or what we refer to as IEDs, uh, that has a particular nexus to the U.S. So I should also say, while TDAC was formed in 2003, and that, that consolidated some of the lab division's equities with um, explosives expertise, TDAC's origins actually began with the explosives unit, which started in 1972 at the lab division. So they've, we've got a long history there. But modern-day TDAC really began as a result of the global war on terror, as the IED became sort of the weapon of choice for terrorists. More than 80 dead, more than 1,700 injured in two bomb blasts today, which exploded just minutes and 450 miles apart. Those explosions set to go off at the U.S. embassies in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania and Nairobi, Kenya, were clearly a part of someone's war against the United States, although it is still unclear at this hour who our enemy is. From there, the, the U.S. government really saw an opportunity working with DOD to learn more about threat actors and later their networks. In other words, instead of destroying IDs or bypassing them, uh, we DOD began to make effort to uh, render them safe and return them for that analysis and exploitation. So TDAC was actually established with resources from, from across the government, uh, including DOD, DOJ, and other components like the ATF. The FBI provides oversight and management, but we also have contributing resources from the ATF and other government agencies as well and personnel here on site. And as a good example of that, the ATF provides the deputy director of TDAC position. So that's Ari Shapira from the ATF. And uh, he got here about three months after I did. I've been here now about a year and a half. Uh, but it's a it's a fantastic place where we're down in Huntsville, Alabama. We've got a number of new buildings on the the newer FBI campus um, there in Huntsville, and it's it's a really good approach using the whole of government to counter that important threat. Yeah, the interagency concept here sounds like it's a perfect example of uh, one team, one fight that we hear throughout the military, throughout the intelligence and and law enforcement community. Everybody under one roof, working toward the same mission. What bombs do you? look at what's within the scope of your mission and what bombs might you not take a look at? We realize the, that first T in TDAC is terrorist. Um, are there bombs that you might not, uh, that not might fall within the scope of your mission? So it, it would depend. Domestically speaking, you know, if it falls into the FBI purview, 
then we're, we're going to support whatever field office is designated to work that. So we work closely with our 56 field offices uh, around the country, and, and we, we support their investigations. That could be with a special agent bomb technician. The lab division also supports with our evidence recovery teams, our ERT teams. But we also work closely with our LEGATs and our counterterrorism division, looking at, again, those devices that occur overseas or, or crimes that occur, occur overseas against uh, U.S. citizens or persons. Uh, and then we also work closely with DOD as, as they encounter IEDs. Uh, we work closely with them and collaborate with their expeditionary labs to bring that back here do that full analysis, exploitation. And then the other important connection we've got besides supporting prosecutions is also bringing the intelligence to bear on that thread and then being able to disseminate and report that important analysis we make. A phrase that I've often heard is uh, bomb maker signature, the concept that there's some, there are some unique aspects to each and every bomb First of all, is that accurate? And then secondly, what are the various elements that you break down and study in an attempt to identify commonalities across devices, across bomb makers? So we certainly see unique aspects from certain bomb makers, and sometimes that changes over time. But, you know, various bomb makers have, have acquired their training in different locations uh, where they've acquired their experience. Uh, but really, at this point, we focus, you know, on the scientific and technical attributes of the IED material. We're, we're really conducting those forensic and technical examinations using all the disciplines. And routinely, that would include latent fingerprints, DNA, trace, and tool marks. And then we also have electrical engineers and electronics technicians that are certified forensic examiners to look at the various components, uh, as a lot of them these days have, have circuits on board and they can provide analysis and, and all those teams provide characterizations of their various IED components. Then we take that information and we turn that into not only investigative support, but then we, we can turn that into that intelligence value sort of beyond the, the ID of the bomb maker, but maybe even linking explosives from separate events and even how devices were created. So we've heard in previous episodes of this podcast about the FBI's fingerprint database, the FBI's DNA database. Are you saying that the FBI similarly has a kind of bomb database? What does that look like? Our databases would include what we call holdings. Our holdings would include all the various evidence from, from all the different evidence we've collected, but we, we sort that into those different components uh, that I talked about between the latents and the DNA. And th that goes into databases, either for potentially known subjects or making further connections to known subjects into another database, such as the unidentified latent file that we keep. And sometimes then later on, we may encounter a criminal that then we can make that connection to and then further identify them, connect them to a device. That sounds like the ultimate goal. How often does that happen? Do you have examples of, have there been cases where you've said, look, the same bomb maker made these two or three or four 
devices, and that ends up being a significant part of a prosecution? Absolutely. We'll be back to learn more after this. Hey, everybody. It's AG for the Bureau with Frank Fogluzzi, and I'm here to tell you about Helix Sleep. I've owned every premium mattress in the universe because sleep is very important to me, but nothing compares to the sleep I get on my Helix mattress because Helix knows we all sleep differently and they tailor your mattress to your unique sleep preferences. You just take their two-minute online sleep quiz and they use your answers to match you to a mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. For example, I sleep on my side and I like a medium firm bed, so they matched me with the Helix Midnight and I've never slept better. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. They have mattresses great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. They have mattresses great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains. And even a Helix Plus mattress for our beautiful plus-size sleepers. Helix is awesome, but you don't have to take my word for it. Helix was actually awarded the number one best overall mattress pick in 2019 and then again in 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Helix has been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. So just go to helixsleep.com bureau, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 sleeps risk-free. They'll pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. And Helix even has financing options available and flexible payment plans, so a great night's sleep is never far away. And right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash bureau, B-U-R-E-A-U. That's helixsleep, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash bureau for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. And we're back for more of The Bomb Collectors. So obviously we don't want to talk about any particular cases, but, you know, I can give you at least a general sort of an idea of how how it might work. And one that's happened uh, in recent years that's already through the prosecutorial stages, so we can talk about it in general terms. But there was one of our foreign partners, the law enforcement component of a foreign partner, they came in contact with a subject who they suspected of having potential ties to terrorism. So during their investigation, they obtained latent prints from the subject, and then using their detailees, we have a detailee from their organization here at TDAC, and they requested that we search our holdings for that fingerprint. TDAC ended up getting a positive hit going back to that unknown latent fingerprint file that we talked about. So we were able to match a known identity to an unknown, and then we were able to go back and pull that respective evidence, which was connected to an ID out of a theater of war. So using that information, TDAC then could successfully link that subject to an IED in this case, we had located and analyzed and exploited nine years earlier. So from there, then TDAC worked with the foreign partner to leverage that IED evidence in court, which led to a successful terrorism prosecution and uh, took a bag off the street for many years. Nine-year-old evidence allowing a, a, a partner country to prosecute. That's a good day and a, and a good story. You mentioned combat theaters. Are you telling us that uh, your personnel during the height of, of combat in the Middle East, Iraq, or Afghanistan, that the FBI had boots on the ground in terms of bomb analysis? We, we definitely uh, work with our IOD and DOD partners to have special agent bomb techs deployed to strategic locations really across the world and areas that we think would provide good segues into uh, partnerships with host nations or 
areas where there are evidence that our troops are coming in contact with, you know, hot spots, something like that. But we we use those special agent bomb techs here at TDAC. We work with with the Critical Incidents Response Group and the and IOD, the International Operations Division. We send out scientists and special agent bomb techs to do engagement uh, and really relationship building in, in these long-term TDYs. And sometimes that can be several months, you know, at a time where, where uh, a special agent bomb tech is assigned to a specific area. And while he's there, he serves as an advisor to maybe local law enforcement or other host nation military entities. And in many cases, there's been, besides just the training, there's been, you know, maybe an IED or a bomb that's gone off. And those special agent bomb techs then can work closely with that host country, provide that expertise, you know, on how to work post-blast and help them with further training. But eventually that builds to a relationship so that we can work with that country and potentially leverage that evidence for our benefit uh, in the end. Yeah, there's that one team, one fight again, and uh, our listeners learning sometimes uh, for the first time that the FBI deploys abroad uh, in the case of bomb analysis and even uh, partnering uh, to bring back evidence perhaps and help the Bureau get smarter on the latest bomb making, bomb techniques. Speaking of that, are you seeing an evolution of any kind, trends or patterns? Have bombs changed over the years? What's... um. What's it looking like and perhaps what does the horizon look like? Well, as with most threat actors, uh, tactics seem to always change over time. And certainly advancements in technology have had an impact on us all, both positive and negative. I think it's safe to say that we do observe some evolution by, by these threat actors. In other words, at least changes in certain nuances with possibly construction or techniques. But in some ways, it's it's not a matter of bomb makers getting smarter. Uh, it's it's many of the changes occur as bomb makers are, are provided better access, better interconnectivity and sources of information. That really ranges from greater scientific and technical literature that's now available on the internet to even the prevalence of, of social media. With every new technology comes the potential for its utilization for the purpose of harm. You could go back to Pagers. Pagers allowed people to be contacted from really anywhere in the world. They also allow bombs to be triggered in the same fashion. You know, currently drones have now more access to the skies for hobbyists and uh, even even terrorists. So as long as there's people intending on doing harm because they want to pose a threat to, to something they hold of value, then there's always going to be people that turn to bombs to address those perceived wrongs or injustice. Yeah, and we're, we're living in a world, as you referenced, where you can get on the internet and, and look up uh, how to build various kinds of bombs and get all the help you need for that. It certainly can't make the job any easier. And, you know, the bombs have been in the news so much lately um, from January 5th, the day before the, the Capitol insurrection, where someone laid two IED down, IEDs down to to the Nashville uh, bombing uh, downtown Nashville, um, without getting into any details about those cases, would we be safe in assuming that those are the kinds of high-profile cases where we would assume that your team has some engagement? The the FBI, uh, you know, is is going to be involved in domestic terrorism. 
and we're there to support our local field offices. And we support with both field operations and investigations. Besides our, our disciplines here, we also, we've talked about that here at TDAC, we use the special agent bomb techs, but here, as I talked about the explosive unit, we actually have supervisory special agent bomb technicians along with uh, chemists and other scientists who are certified device examiners. In certain explosive cases or uh, support to the field, they may deploy to a, a post-blast crime scene or, or possibly assist as a local SABT conducts a render safe operation in that local field territory. As with really any crime scene, though, we work closely again with that evidence response team to ensure that any of the evidence is safely collected and transported back to our laboratories then here in Huntsville and the lab at Quantico to make sure that all the examinations are done in the best way. And we also confer with state and local entities about explosives and IED-related items when they encounter those here in the U.S. as well. Mm. So practically speaking on the ground, realizing that you've, the bomb, those bomb techs in the field are not technically part of your effort in the laboratory. What does that engagement look like literally on the ground? Let's, let's say that a bomb tech is looking at an active or live device. And is there a dialogue that takes place wherein you say, you know, we, we think we've seen this before, or, you know, are they equipped with your knowledge of the analysis of bombs so that they, they know about the best approach to perhaps making, uh, rendering that device ineffective? Well, I can speak to that uh, a bit. Uh, again, I'll go back to the critical incident response group. They provide training and program management to the special agent bomb technicians in the field. but we have a tremendous relationship of collaboration with, with CERG and our fellow bomb techs over there, again, working with the explosives unit and our certified device examiners and our SSABTs. We do some training, but we're also here for counsel and advice. And in, in many times, you know, in, in difficult situations, even though the bomb techs are, are trained with advanced tools and techniques, you know, they, they seek advice and we have conference calls and we can support them and, and ensure that dialogue is there at the highest levels here at the lab division and even at CERG. So, you know, really that, that special agent bomb tech in the field has got a lot of support behind him if needed. And again, those other bomb technicians, even with state and local, uh, we support them uh, and happy to do that as well. Got it. I, I would think correct me if I'm wrong, that in an ideal situation in terms of evidence and analysis, you would love to have an intact device. Uh, that sounds to me like it might be the optimal opportunity to collect intact evidence. But often, I'm sure, perhaps particularly from combat theaters, you're dealing with evidence that has literally been blown up. And so what is that painstaking process of kind of piecing that back together? Do you even do that? What, what does that look like? And, and then tell us about the people who do that for a living and, and where they come from and what their skill sets are. So certainly, you know, we're all about the safety of our first responders uh, when we're, we get into those render safe operations. But, but you're right. We also help with post-blast and it is ideal to, to be able to take a device before it, it goes, goes off as a bomb. But many times that's what we're left with. 
So when we get on scene, those certified device examiners, those evidence response technicians, they're looking at a variety of factors. They're conducting chemistry uh, examinations. There's a, a myriad of disciplines that we would use on material that, that's involved in that post-blast. Effort would be made to, to really preserve that as best as possible and do what needs to be done in the field as a priority, maybe even to help with that immediate case support. But then we, we make every effort to get that in the best state back to the laboratory so that we can really get in there and, and do the real work on the, the benches. So you asked about the, the, our people. Like any other FBI division, our people is what makes us great. TDAC, as well as the rest of the laboratory uh, division, which is in Quantico, is comprised of a variety of backgrounds, educations, and even special agents. Many professional staff within the lab, lab division and even special agents come from STEM backgrounds, but they all really share a passion for leveraging science and, and forensics to bring justice for the many victims of crime across the country and even the world. Many of those professional staff may begin their service or spend much of their careers at the lab division. And now we've got lab entities here at Huntsville as well as Quantico where that's a little bit different from the special agents who always begin their career working cases in, in one of the 56 field offices, as you know, Frank, after they graduate the FBI Academy. From there, they're going to gain experience working cases and maybe gain some specialty experience through collateral duties like special agent bomb tech or evidence response team members. And then after they have that kind of experience, then those special agents after you know a considerable amount of time in the field, then they may advance or promote to become one of those supervisory special agents here at the lab division and really leverage that field experience that they've got. There may be a number of young people listening to us uh, on this episode, Will, uh, who may be fascinated by this work and are wondering, what's, uh, what's, what are the avenues here? You, you mentioned uh, a mix uh, in, in your team of special agents, scientists, professionals, technicians. What are some of the things you talk to young people about in terms of skill sets, maybe academic studies, and even characteristics uh, of the people who do the best work on your team? Well, um, you know, we, again, we see, uh, we, we see a wide variety. And, and realistically, in today's Bureau, I think that diversity, diversity in backgrounds, diversity in, in experience, diversity uh, in perspective is really critical. And, you know, we're also looking for, besides just scientists or engineers, we're looking for people that have real world experience, if possible. But there's also a lot of programs now for interns and internships, especially at the lab division and some of those other specialty divisions across the Bureau. Uh, the lab has a very robust intern population. And many times those interns who many have a scientific background, end up taking entry-level positions here at the lab division before then maybe they look at where they could go inside the lab division or even the FBI. Yeah, I, I sing the praises of the uh, FBI's internship programs myself. I, uh, I was a honors intern during law school um, at FBI headquarters, and since I was studying law, they had me in the general counsel's office, and, I, and you know, the, the rest is history. As they say, they had me hooked. 
Um, and I became uh, one of the first agents uh, to come out of the early honors internship program. So if we, um, if we can get nothing else out of this episode, maybe a, uh, someone who has a young person in their family or a young person um, can check out the uh, internship opportunities at the FBI. Our guest today has been Section Chief Will Rivers of the FBI's Laboratory Division, and more specifically, the Terrorist Explosive Device Analytical Center, known as TDAC. Thanks for listening to the Bomb Collectors episode of The Bureau with Frank Figluzzi. Join us next time when we travel to the FBI field office in Kansas City, and we ask if what happens on my device stays on my device. The Bureau is written by Frank Fagluzzi and executive produced by Allison Gill with sound design and editing by Molly Hockey. The show is engineered by Matt Brousseau with podcast art design by Johanna Coxeter. Music for The Bureau is written and composed by Peter Rydberg. The Bureau is a proud member of MSW Media Network, a collection of independent creator-owned podcasts focused on news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. 